Welcome to the Root of Power podcast, where I teach you how to step into your power, find alignment, and create a life that you love using holistic methods, interviews with industry leaders, and inspiring stories from people who know that true freedom is found within. I'm your host and health and wellness bestie, Amanda Chills, and I'm so proud of you for choosing to step into the root of your power. in for a treat today. This is a podcast that I did for Tiffany Huffstruthers, who is just overall a completely phenomenal woman. Her interview will be coming out in the next couple weeks, but I thought instead of just listening to me talk, you could listen to me interview. So we are going to talk about radical honesty and why that is one of the main components and necessities to healing and living your best life. As always, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave me a five-star review. I cannot tell you how much that helps support the podcast and get it in front of more people. If you are on YouTube, go ahead and leave a comment and say, stop. And if you are in general just wanting to reduce stress, you can head on over to www.amandachills.com backslash reduce dash stress. Let's party guys. Amanda, how are you? Tiffany, first of all, stoked to be on here. I am honestly, the morning was a little rough, but I am super excited to get into this podcast and like deliver some value. Yes, let's do this. So before we dig into all of your greatness, please tell the our uh, community who you are beyond the bio. So beyond the bio, I um, live on a farm in central North Carolina. I am an animal lover and person lover at heart. I there, my favorite thing is to watch people succeed and to watch people like really step into their own knowing and create their own path and just thrive. Like that at my core is who I am. So I hang out with my dog and my horses all day. Um, I'm outside a lot and I try and be a goofball. <laughs> I try and have as much fun as possible. We have to so, learn to laugh, right? We have to find yeah those ways to laugh. I'm so glad you imparted that even on the journey as you're rebuilding your life, your mindset, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, laughter is so necessary. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how you started doing the work that you are now doing, how you became the MEO. (laughs) So I truthfully did not make that term up, but I thought it was so brilliant that I thought I'm going to use that too. So I grew up um, in the bio when it says like, I grew up being told I was unique. It was never a compliment. Mm. It was always said with like, oh, you're so unique. Like it was always an insult. Mm-hmm. And it that took a lot of healing to be like, so what? Like I am different. I, I don't go with the flow. I want to do things my own way. You know, who else wants to do things their own way? People who start businesses, people who make changes. So I was like, my dad is from Cuba. And so he has a very strong accent. And one of the things I grew up hearing him say 
because, you know, some people don't understand what he says. And he says, it's not my problem. If you don't know what I'm saying, it's your problem. I know what I said. If you don't Mm. understand me, that's on you. And I was just like, Ooh, okay, dad, get it. (laughs) So, so that me EO designing your own life and saying, I don't need you to get it. I don't need you to approve. Like, I know what I said. I know where I stand. Um, Obviously, that's harder as a teenager, but in my adult years, I've really come to that. So what I do now is I run a private practice in North Carolina where I see people at my farm, which is not the usual style for counseling. Um, We sit outside. My dog is always with me. We're in the field with the horses or sometimes the goats. Um, And we just dig into people and, you know, help empower them. So how I got here was I wanted to originally train service dogs. I have a big soft spot for veterans because they are not treated well when they are no longer useful. Um, and the military has a lot of great things, but the military also does a lot of damage to vets and they don't support them. So Mm -hmm. I thought what good way to work with animals and work with vets than to train service dogs. And then I went to a service dog training facility um, in central Florida. And it was like, when I tell you this place was like a hospital, it was the most sterile environment I've ever seen. And I was just like, this is horrible. (laughs) I'm not doing this. (laughs) So I found um, there is a farm in Odessa, Florida called Quantum Leap. And they are a huge therapeutic riding barn. So they do therapeutic horseback riding which uses a physical therapist, occupational therapist, or speech therapist to help people with physical, mental disabilities make progress on whatever their goals are. And they do over a thousand clients a year. They're linked in with McDill Air Force Base. Like they are a phenomenal, top-notch, wonderful program. Okay. They're amazing. So I volunteered with them for a couple years, found out I could do mental health instead, which means I would never have to take organic chemistry, which (laughs) is a big fat win for your girl. Um, So I decided to get into mental health and do that with the horses. And I um, wanted to live in North Carolina. I don't really know why, but the universe was like, hey, Amanda, you should live in North Carolina. And I was like, well, an opportunity knocks, I'm gonna answer the door. So I found a farm in North Carolina and uh, now I get to play all day long and help people. And it is like best life status. Yeah, I think the fact that you literally created that life, you know, the lifestyle. I have a friend who has this goal of retiring and having a farm and she loves goats, (sighs) but she's putting it it off until she retires. Whereas you were able to create the life that you wanted and build your business around it as opposed to building your business and creating your life around it. So I think that's awesome. And that in and of itself is something that you could probably become a billionaire teaching people. But that's another (laughs) episode. That's another dream. Yeah. So that um, that's a good example. And I would be remiss if I didn't say like, you know, it when I say it in that way, it sounds like I did it myself. But. I, my parents helped me a lot. So like in any conversation we were talking about self-determination and making your own dreams come true, like if we're not talking about the privilege that I had to mm-hmm. be able to do that, then, then this conversation means nothing. So like my parents supported me to be able to buy the farm. Like they really 
did the bulk of the finances. I was able to go to college and to grad school because my parents could help me pay for those things. And I was able to do it straight through because I didn't have to work a full-time job. Um, now I've always worked. I've always, you know, had a job since I was 16, but there's a very big difference between someone who has to work one or two jobs or three jobs mm-hmm. and go to school at the same time versus someone like me who could focus full time on going to school and could afford, you know, a, a private school and could even afford to move states. Right. So I want to acknowledge too, like the privileges that I had because that's so important too. So for anyone who's listening and they're like, well, she did it. Why can't I, I may have had different, um, supports than right. those people have. Right. And that's really important to acknowledge. That doesn't mean that you won't be able to do it or you can't do it right. without those supports, but being aware that those supports were in place. I really appreciate you being transparent and sharing that. I do, yeah. however, want to move. I think that's a good segue into the conversation we are planning to have in that you had those supports, you had for lack of a better way to say it, a solid foundation, but it did not prevent you from having your own traumatic experience um, in the form. And of course, we've all had traumas on top of traumas, but specifically in you getting into a relationship that ended up being a bit traumatic for you. So can you talk a little bit about that? I will. So I, um, which is, funny because I'm, I'm talking to a woman tomorrow about codependency. So they're really closely linked in this story for me. So I met a man um, who in the beginning was wonderful and said everything I wanted. And I kind of got like love bombed for lack of a better term. Love bombed. Um, yeah. So we had, we got married within nine months. He moved in with me like super, super soon. And I was just like, this is it. I'm getting married. And when we talk about traumas, we also have to talk about the things that we grow up hearing that become internalized beliefs. So one of the beliefs that I had was that you get married one time, even though I would also say, if it's not working, get divorced. You can always start over, leave a, a unhelpful or unhealthy relationship. But in my head, it was, this is it. This is the one time. If you know, you know. Um, so my parents got married three months after they met. Wow. And they're still married. So I kind of low-key wanted the same whirlwind story. Um, and it I knew. So one of the reasons that I, I do so much intuition coaching and healing work now is because my body was like, hey, self, there's something wrong here. This, something is off. This is not right. I think you should wait. But I wanted so much that fantasy, yes. you know, being in love with and, being in love. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I was I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. And and uh, the situation ended up pretty hopeless, ironically. Um, so I shoved it down for a long time. And I think my friends were cautious, but supportive, but they didn't want to hurt my feelings. And so they didn't necessarily I had a couple really good friends that have known me for, you know, two decades now that were like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, no, it's, you know, I'm very persuasive. So I convinced myself and convinced them that it was okay. And it was gonna be great. And I helped him start a business, actually, um, which is how I got into my own. Helped him start a business was paying. I mean, I was working I made pretty good money. So, you know, I was helping him and I let him take over. We have some buildings on the farm. So I let him take over one of those buildings and one of the bedrooms in the house that he was not paying any bills for. 
Um, and I was like, I can help you. Um, if I love you enough, if I help you enough, like you'll succeed. And he had his own traumas that he chose not to work through, which is a huge red flag for anyone listening. Your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility to work through. Say that again, please. (laughs) Your trauma is not your fault. You did not deserve it. There is nothing that you do that deserves someone being cruel to you or being abusive to you, but it is your responsibility to heal. So he chose not to. And I, you know, cause I was a counselor and I thought I can help you if you just go to therapy, if you, if I do these things for you and it ended up being pretty imbalanced. So I had to actually start my own practice because I, he was spending thousands over what I was making a month. And I, so I went from working one job to working 14 hour days while he was getting drunk or high every day, all the time, um, hiding it from me because I was working 14 hours. Um, he got very cruel. Um, he would call me lots of names. He would tell me that I was just like my parents, um, but not in a nice way. And Mm. I was like, Hey, I like my parents. Like I wouldn't be where I am if I wasn't, if it wasn't for them. Right. Um, so one day we were like, I mean, and my parents, so here's the fun thing. My parents live about a thousand feet behind me. So they literally had a front row seat to like, Everything. The crap storm. <laughs> and my dad tried to tell me, like, what are you doing? This is not okay. And I said, no, dad, you don't get it. Like, it's trauma because counselor. Right. Um, he's going to heal. He's doing the work. Meanwhile, he was doing nothing. Um, so that went on for maybe a year. And it wasn't all bad from the beginning. He was kind and he was funny and he could be very fun. But it ended up being awful. And he got very entitled. Um no, you know, it, it was a bad situation. So one of the, one of the times we were having a screaming match, which is very unlike me, um, it clicked. And finally my intuition was loud enough and it was like, Amanda, like, what the F are you doing? And I said, Oh my God, I married my father, but the worst parts of him, mm. the worst parts of him. And something we're going to talk about in trauma is we will heal relationships through our romantic relationships. If we're not careful. And that's what I did, even knowing what I know, right? So even someone who is in the field, like it happens to everyone. So if this happened to you, you're not alone. It happens even to the best of us. And I said, oh, OS, <laughs> I married the worst parts of my dad. And even then something was wrong, but I was too far in, right? I, I owed so much money at that point. I thought if he could just get it together. Right. And it really changed for me. My dog got to the point where she wouldn't even be in the house if he was there, which was a huge red flag. I've had my dogs and she was six weeks old. Um, she was eight at that time. And he came home one night and I said, Hey, you know, you said you'd be home two hours ago. Like, will you just come home and you say you're going to come home? And it ended up with <laughs> him probably six inches from my face screaming at like screaming. And I was just like, no, what are you like, Amanda? What something, are you something, doing? Something shifted. Oh yeah, and I was just because my dog was next to me. She wouldn't leave me, but she was terrified. She was shaking. She still doesn't like loud noises because he would slam things in the house. And this, I mean, he's been gone for a year now, and he punched a hole in the wall. And I was like, oh, 
then I was pissed. <laughs> like I was done. And then I was pissed. Cause I was like, you have not paid a bill in this house for two years and you're going to put holes in my wall. No, sir. So he left. And then it took a couple weeks for me to, you know, get him out again. And, and he put other holes in the wall. He like ripped a door off the hinges. It was, it was not cute. <laughs> and my dad came in. And so during this time, one of the things that trauma does is it's exhausting, right? Yes. Living in that. So I was sleeping. If I wasn't working, I was asleep. I didn't talk to my friend. Like I didn't have the energy to do anything because I was in survival mode so hard. And my dad came in and he saw a hole in the wall and he, and he, the disappointment in his voice, I was just like, I would rather die <laughs> than hear this again. Um, and he just was like, you are going to ruin your life for somebody that's not worth anything. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, you're right. So we had to call the police on him multiple times. Like it's a whole long ordeal, right? I will wrap this up. What I learned throughout that process was, and it took a lot of internal work to say like, Amanda, you cannot save this person. Nothing you do will help them. Like people have to help themselves, which I knew for my clients, but I did not have that boundary for my husband. Right. Um, so that was problematic <laughs> to say the least. Um, which is the reason that I do so much trauma work and healing work now. So a lot of people see trauma as like, oh, it's physical abuse or you were in a car accident or you were in war or you were shot. Um, but it's so much more than that. It's anything that overwhelms your ability to cope with it, which is why going through a traumatic experience will affect different people differently. So I had a ton of support. Once I kicked him out, I had a ton of support. Um, I really took two or three weeks where I like, I had slowed down my schedule anyway, cause it was the end of the year. And I think I just sat on my couch with my dog for like two weeks. I didn't really eat. I just rested. And then I came out of that and I said, okay, we're good now. And you know, obviously there's consistent work that you have to do just to live your life. Um, but the bulk of it, I really got out. And that was because like it didn't take very long for me to do the bulk of the work because I'm in this field and I have so much knowledge about how to process emotions and trauma and what that looks like and let things come up and all of those things. So, so when we talk about trauma, a lot of the things that people will go through and, and I often, I have, most of my clients are trauma because otherwise, why are you, why are you going to therapy? Although you can go for anything, anyone right. who's listening, go for anything. Um, they always, without fail, say, but other people have it worse. Um, we minimize. Mi oh, my gosh. It's a coping mechanism, right? It allows you to say, well, this can't be that bad because other people have it worse. But that doesn't mean it's not important to you. That's right. And, and ultimately, that's what should be most important. Not that we shouldn't <laughs> empathize and care about what other right. people are dealing with. But in order for us to heal... We have yeah. to focus first on ourselves. Yes. And, and I think yeah. that oftentimes it's a defense mechanism to deflect in that way, right? Yeah. I know in the past in a therapy session, I've done it where, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I shine the light someplace else to take the mm -hmm. light off of me. And mm -hmm. it's a coping mechanism, but it's also a defense mechanism, right? Yeah. And our defense mechanisms are coping mechanisms. So you know, throughout this, I was so like, my life revolved around him, what he was doing, his business, blah, 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 like whatever. Um, and that was for me not to look at my own self who was 
the way that I look at trauma and the way that I look at um, what it does to a body and to a soul is it puts you out of alignment because we always know when something is right for us and good for us and when something is not right or good for us. Now we can shove it down and we can make excuses because brains are very smart, very smart. We will, we can justify anything, right? Why do we have war? Why do we have genocide? Because people justify it logically. But we know that that is out of alignment with who we are. So can I pause you there? Because I think that's a really important um, thing to really sit with for a minute. Even you said yourself, like you you saw red flags at the beginning. Your friends saw red flags at the beginning. Your parents saw red flags at the beginning. But you were like, well, it's not like bright red, you know, (laughs) like it's not on fire so so my question you know for those who are listening who potentially are seeing red flags or have been ignoring red flags first of all I feel like we all have to forgive ourselves for those mistakes right we live and we learn and give ourselves some grace but then when you get to the point where it's like okay it's a fire right it's a storm of red flags like how do you move past it without getting stuck. Okay, so a couple things I wanna say first. There's a quote I use a lot that says, if you have rose-colored glasses on, all the red flags just look like flags. Mm. So one of the things we have to do is be honest about what we, how we are filtering behaviors how we are filtering in experience, because we're not always talking about relationships or behaviors, how we are filtering in experience. Are we excusing, denying, not living in reality? Are we trending towards the negative so we make it seem more traumatic than it was because we're so focused on the traumatic, like heightened emotions? Are we filtering? is one of the ways to start objectively. What is the experience? What is this person doing? What happened is one of the ways. And the self-compassion that you talk about is another thing that I had to go through. And so many people go through because we are brains, right? One of the ways that humans learn from the past to avoid problems or similar problems in the future is by shame. Right. And guilt. And guilt. Now, guilt is a little bit different because if you feel guilty, that means you're acting out of alignment with who you are. So that guilt is perhaps a normal feeling or that guilt is given to you by a dysfunctional family system. So I'll explain. Sometimes people who grew up in a household where it was never safe to set boundaries, to speak up, to say no, to hold a boundary, they are given guilt as a way to manipulate them into not holding a boundary. Agreed. So sometimes our guilt is given and sometimes it's guilt because we're not living in our own integrity. Right. The shame is a teaching tool and it's something that is given to us, especially as women, right? We're taught just speaking physically about bodies. You're not enough. This is good. Lose weight, blah, 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 blah. All the toxic BS. My cat just jumped on the table. All the toxic BS that we hear and experience daily as women. And a lot of our parents, because of the generation they were from, use shame as a teaching tool. Don't do that. How dare you? You're a bad kid, right? You're going to make me look stupid in public. Um, 
So that becomes our internalized like soundtrack for, if you will. And what we learn is the way to change a behavior, the way to act better or um, to avoid this problem in the future is to shame ourselves into doing that. What I find is it not only does it not work because you feel like crap and why would you take care of something that doesn't have any value? Right. Right. But it's so conditioned that once people start objectively, and this is where we get into questioning our perspective and our filters. Once people start questioning that, they start saying, oh, wow, that voice is really mean. Like, I am so mean to myself where they would never probably say that to another person. They would never let their kid play on a team with a coach who only shames them instead of teaching them and saying, "You, you know, you're really doing your best, but you didn't know any better. And so something I say often is if you don't grow up in a house speaking German, guess what language you're not speaking as an adult? German. German. If you don't grow up in a house where there's self-love and compassion and healthy boundaries and and resilience, then you're not speaking that as an adult, but you don't know what you don't know. And so beating yourself up feels good. It feels productive. And I'm doing like air quotes for those who are just listening. Um, but it's not. And so it how, do, how does a person move from shaming herself from living and carrying around the weight of that guilt to saying, okay, this happened and Mm -hmm. now it's time to move forward. Right. Kind of like you did in that, you know, you said about for about three weeks, you had to just regain your composure, come back to Mm -hmm. who Amanda is. Right. So how, once I recognize that this shame and this mm-hmm. soundtrack that I've been listening to of shame and guilt is not really my music, yeah. right? Yeah. So how do I yes. do the work to change the station from trauma to Love triumph? It. So there's a few different ways. Um, one of the things I teach people all the time is everything is a self-experiment and take this as like an options buffet. Just like at a buffet, if you guys remember those. I miss them. Um, you don't take everything just because it's out. You take what you like and you leave what you don't. That's right. So I'm going to start by giving people an image and then I'm going to answer your question. So the way that I visualize trauma and guilt and all of the things that associate with it, because not only is it stored in your head, it's stored in your body. It's literally heavy. Yeah. I imagine it as like, imagine those really, really long sacks that people use to pick cotton or, um, That's the only visual that I have. Imagine they're carrying that around. It is heavy, but it's filled with like cement. It is heavy. It's awkward. You can never carry it appropriately. It wears you down, but it's always with you. This is your trauma and your conditioning and your unhelpful behavior patterns that you learn. What going through the healing process does is it puts those things on a wagon So our traumas may or may not leave us. What they will do is be a lot easier to carry Mm. while you're sorting through the bag and saying, this is helpful sometimes, so I'm going to keep it. This is never helpful. So we are going to Marie Kondo that. It doesn't bring us joy. (laughs) It doesn't bring me joy. Yes. And that, so Marie Kondo is actually brilliant. And the reason that I use that phrase is that is the question that I want people to ask themselves. So one 
Step one to healing trauma is to be aware of our conditioned behaviors. What did you learn in your family systems that is not helpful for the majority of your life? Right. For example, if you grow up in a very anxious family, I have a lot of clients whose mothers were so anxious. Everything was danger. And so their daughters and their sons inherit anxiety. Now, sometimes that's helpful. If I'm walking down um, a city street at night, yeah, I'm going to be a little anxious because your girl wants to live. So that is helpful in that scenario. But if I'm just living my life, it gets in the way. Yeah. So one is to start being aware of your thought patterns, your inner soundtrack, what your typical emotions are, just what you experience in your head on the day to day and in your body. Two is to start saying, does this bring me joy? Literally, I want people to like Marie Kondo their thoughts because we cannot change our thoughts. We cannot control them. Our brain just works. What we can do is not give them any attention. That's right. And by choosing not to give them attention, not to be kidnapped by them, not to feed them, they become automatically less distressing. So now we also have more energy to listen to our inner soundtrack and say, is this helpful? Do I want to keep this? If it's not helpful, what would I like to do with it? Usually my answer is put it down, let it go, refocus your attention on what is helpful. And eventually those thoughts would dissipate. And we do the same thing with our emotions. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Where did I learn this emotion? What is it telling me? And then we can choose if we want to, what action we want to take. Because we also can't choose our emotions, right? They come up and they are teachers. So for example, um, in the scenario with my um, ex-husband, he would come at me like threateningly and like get in my face. So when I started dating someone new, he did that, but as a joke, um, not understanding that that was something that is very scary, right? That was a trigger for me that I was, that really did, it was not good. Um, So I had to, you know, I had the emotion and because I had done the work to say, what is this? What are you feeling? What's coming up? what came up for me was fear and he did not mean it to be cruel. He did not mean it to be threatening, but what came up for me was fear. And I had to say why. And then I would say, Oh, because my ex would do this and it would be a huge fight and I felt unsafe. And so I had to explain to him, Hey, you can't do that. I know you don't think it's a big deal, but it's not good for me. So please never do this again. So once we become aware of our thoughts and emotions, we can then tell people if we need to tell them, But mostly it's for us to just start getting to know ourselves and our intuition and our our inner experience so we can choose what kind of person we want to be. And I think it's so important that people recognize these two steps are not like, okay, I I, I check my thoughts. Done. Okay. I (laughs) thought about everything my parents said. Done. Right. It's an ongoing process as you are healing and going through this journey. And the other piece of it is that I'm so glad you said is that through this process, not only do you become more familiar with yourself, but because you are now going to advocate for your healing, you get more familiar with hearing your voice for yourself and Mm -hmm. therefore build the courage 
and the comfort with consistently using Mm -hmm. your voice to advocate for yourself with others. And in many cases, it looks like what you said, educating someone about why you have a particular boundary or why you uh, don't tolerate or aren't interested in certain things. And it's not necessarily about, you know, explaining yourself consistently, but I wholeheartedly do believe in that uh, quote. I don't know who made it up, so forgive me, but you know the quote... Uh, we teach other people how to treat us, right? And that is something you have to be actively engaged in with intention. And a lot of times, at least in my experience, I know when you have trauma, when things, when you're rebuilding or, you know, you're healing, people need to recognize that you're different. Yes. And being that advocate for yourself and being able to vocalize, like you said, is part of you teaching people how to treat you now. Yes. So same thing I say a lot is you have to teach people how to love you because they don't, there is no way that somebody is going to know every trigger you have and every past experience you have. It's like, no, that's not real. We have to, if we want healthy, sustainable relationships, even with ourselves, be honest about what we like, what we don't like, what we are willing to tolerate, what we're not willing to tolerate. Not only does it teach other people how to love you, it proves to yourself that you are willing to do the work to keep yourself safe, which is a hallmark of trauma that you were not safe. Now, I have a I have a question about about this process and hopefully it doesn't turn into a whole nother hour conversation because I know <laughs> it's a deep question. I'll keep but, it succinct. But what I found is that in the midst of this healing process, right? In the mm-hmm. midst of you advocating for yourself, in the midst of you deciding that the shame is no longer acceptable, not allowing the guilt to weigh you down, it yes. could and, and you can correct me if I'm communicating this pr- improperly because you are the professional okay. in this field. Um, but what I find is that it can temporarily trigger additional trauma because now yes. I'm no longer going to accept what you told me was normal. That's no longer yes. normal for me. Now I'm going to set boundaries. And so the people... Um, for example, your family, your very close friends, even maybe a co-worker or some, a partner may mm-hmm. say, well, when did you start this and what's, and what's yes. wrong with the way we've yes. always been uh-huh. and what's, you're saying something's wrong with me. You know what I mean? And so sometimes it's like, whoa, maybe I don't want to heal. Right. Not, yes. not that we ever necessarily verbalize that, but it could be a right. response because it's, it's additional yeah. trauma now as a response to your healing almost. Yes. Yes. I love that you pointed that out. So one of the things that I often um, that my clients will experience is that when they start healing, one of two things typically happen. Now, in the beginning, I said that staying in your trauma is a choice. And I will die on that hill. People will choose to stay in their trauma because it is easier than healing, even though it is the harder path. But there's work to healing. There's work. There is work to healing, but there's work to being miserable every day. But that work, at least they already know. Yes. So people will choose to live their whole life in their trauma 
when a family member or a partner or a friend starts to heal, it can be very threatening because now the relationship equilibrium has shifted. Now misery no longer loves company. Misery doesn't like the company that's healing because it affirms that what they're doing is not the only choice. So yes, it can bring up um, new traumas. And what I find is once people start doing the healing work because the body and the brain, because our body and our brain are so, so, so intelligent, which is why I do so much intuition work, your brain will protect you from traumas that you are not ready or able to process. So what often happens as well when you start healing is other traumas will come up because now you have the skills and the resiliency and the strength to process them. Mm -hmm. So often people will start working on one and another will pop up and they'll say, oh my God, I hadn't thought about this or why is everything coming out? Well, because you open the pressure gauge and these things have to come up. That's good. Because otherwise they are rot in your system. And I think of emotions in terms of a pressure gauge. So once people start healing, many people will go through um, kind of like once they start feeling their emotions or processing them, they'll just come up. And what people need to do, so to answer your question, how do people navigate that and start doing it? One, with compassion for themselves and the other person. They are choosing not to heal because it's too hard. And that is their choice. And it has nothing to do with the person healing. That's right. So we have to depersonalize and say their behavior is not about me. Their words are not about me. But my words and my journey are about me. My frustration with them is not about them. That's about me. Right. I share with my clients a lot that when you begin to heal, when you begin to live in your truth, you become a mirror, a spiritual mirror. And other people see that they aren't living in their truth. And so they're responding to what they're learning. It's not yes. necessarily a direct personal attack all of the time. No. It's a natural it's progression. A right. Because it's never about you. Right. It is always about their shame, their guilt, whatever's coming up for them that says, well, you think you're better than me? Why the judgment? Right. Right. If people aren't proud of you, they cannot be proud for themselves. That's the crux crux. I think that's the word. That's the point. People cannot give you what they don't have. If they don't believe in themselves, they cannot believe in you. If they don't think they can heal, they will not believe that you can do it because I can't give you, um, a pig because I don't have a pig. Right. So I can't give it to you. It has nothing to do with the person that's healing, but that can hurt. It still that hurts. Can hurt that's a lot. Right. So people may lose people on this journey And that's not about them either. They may have to restructure a relationship. I have one client who last night said, you know, I, I really just cannot be around my mom right now. I feel so bad for that. And I said, one, who gave that guilt to you? Why aren't you allowed to say, I really don't have the energy for the same relationship we had so I need to set boundaries around my time or my energy. That's and right. she said, I was, I was never allowed to do that. So then that guilt was given to you. So now it's like, give yourself permission to move yes. past the guilt, to move past and the shame. to understand that it's a companion until it's not. 
your guilt isn't going anywhere unless you, any of the emotions people feel aren't going anywhere unless they fully allow themselves to feel them. So where so many people get stuck in trauma because when you are in survival mode, you cannot feel your emotions fully because it's not safe to. So we shove them down and, and flatline them. But what happens is it drags them out because you're not allowing it to rise dissipate and then never return Mm. when we shove it down it's just like if you bury a body inappropriately like that's coming up (laughs) like i sound like a serial killer but like if you don't bury a body right it's coming up when it rains when like whatever but like you're gonna have a dead body right stinking up life we have to bury it appropriately which means we have to allow it to completely work its way through us and emotions always peak and they always wane but very often because people don't feel like they can handle the peak they stop it so i'm so, oh i'm sorry go ahead no well, i was gonna um get into like how do people handle that because i okay go ahead um so we we allow ourselves to experience whatever emotions we're experiencing if it's guilt if it's fear if it's um, uncertainty, if it's many people are afraid to set boundaries, they're afraid to lose people. And we say, this is the compassion piece, right? Hey, self, I see you. This is hard and it's worth it. They will adjust. You deserve people who are in your life because they genuinely want to support you. You deserve to protect this house right under armor got it right protect this house emotionally spiritually physically people deserve to have authentic supportive real relationships they deserve respect which is where like treating something we value with care comes in so we understand that the guilt and the things will come We understand that you can take an action even though you feel like you can't. Mm -hmm. So you may be afraid and you can still choose that action because you have control over your mouth. And if you don't have control over your mouth, write it down. Get creative. So you can feel an intense emotion. You can handle it because your track record for surviving your worst days is 100%. And that's pretty good. That is very good. That's very good. That's perfect, actually. So you can definitely survive this. And the thing I tell people is you only have to set a boundary a couple times before people start saying, oh, that's the new fence. Yes, that is true. I know I set a boundary some time ago around the time that I will stop responding to texts and taking phone calls. And it was early, um, especially for me at that time. It was 8 p.m. So I would get a text from like one of my cousins and friends was very infamous to be like, okay, it's 7.50. I'm about to call you. I know I have eight minutes to talk. I need you to answer as soon as I call, right? So people do begin to adjust to those boundaries or they fall away. Right. Right. And that is an adjustment too. That absolutely Because people who benefit from you not having any boundaries are the only people that are going to be mad about your boundaries. That's right. That's That's right. And so I want to, because I think it's very important 
before I let you get back to saving the world (laughs) and, you know, helping people heal from their trauma. I do want to just briefly talk about how things are changing and shifting right now. Obviously, we are living through a pandemic and all of the things uh, who will be the president and you know, yes. on that's on top of specifically for for this community, on top of what uh, the beacons in this community are already growing through and healing yeah. from and conquering. Right. And wanting yeah. to maintain a steady course. Um, but sometimes there is trauma that hits in the midst of you yes. healing from some other trauma. And so yes. I would love for you to leave the ladies with some parting advice, some things that they okay. need to remember. Yes. Or even some small things they can do when they get mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Ah, uh, so I will do all three. I'll start with the last one. Things to do when you get overwhelmed. Rest. Listen to your body. Say it again, Listen. please, for the people in the balcony. Rest. <laughs> Listen to your body, literally ask yourself, what do I need? And if you say, I don't know, I want you to ask yourself, what if I didn't know? What would my best guess be? Mm. And I promise you an answer will come up and that answer is never wrong. So you rest, you understand that healing is not linear. It's a spiral staircase. So even though you may feel like you're in the same position, you are actually a floor up mm, because you're up the spiral staircase. So the view might look similar, but you're higher now. I like that. That's good. Yes. Thank you. So we rest, we ask ourselves, what do I need? And if you say, I don't know, which many people do, because listening to your body is a new practice. We say, what if I did know? We understand that if something feels similar to something you've gone through, the fact that you can recognize that is growth. You are not in the same place. You have the same view, but you're higher up now. Yes. And you consistently do the work. If it feels uncomfortable, congrats. You're doing the right thing. Okay, that's good. That's what I got. (laughs) That's good. That's really good. And and I think that just, you know, creating a rhythm or some type of routine where throughout the day or either at the start of the day and at the end of the day, you're reminding yourself and you're reflecting on what's working, what's not working, what's good, what's not so good. Like you said, what's bringing you joy and what's not and being honest honest about your responses to those questions. The honesty is the thing that many people who choose to live in their trauma will not have. Because if you notice something is wrong, you can't unnotice it now. You have to deal with it. So radical honesty really is such a path to healing with compassion, right? You didn't know what you were not taught. You can learn but you didn't know then you didn't know any better and you did the best that you could in a situation that was overwhelming and hard. Right. Right. I love that radical honesty. Yeah. It is life changing. It is absolutely life changing, not only for you, but for those that you are coming to contact with and it will be impactful for them as well. 
100%. Yes, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Thank you so much for being You're here so and cute. sharing all of your wisdom. Ooh. I feel like we could talk forever. We could. We can do another one whenever you want. <laughs> so please, before I let you go, can you tell the listeners where and how they can connect with you online? Yeah. I know um, not everybody's going to be able to make it to the farm. So since they can't get to the farm, <laughs> how can we connect with you in these internet streets, as I like to say? <laughs> in the wild. So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I mainly hang out. You will find videos of my animals, um, me talking sometimes and lots of mental health, trauma, intuition, life. Um, that is at Amanda underscore chills. C-H-I-L-S. Yes. One L in chills. One L. Like when you get cold, but only a little cold. So it's only <laughs> one L. Um, you can, my website is www.amandachills.com and you can listen to my podcast there. You can uh, just, you know, poke around. There's lots of things there. Yes. Um, and I'll make Instagram sure everything, and my website. I'll make sure both Instagram and yeah. your website are linked in the show notes so that everybody is able to get in touch with you. Thank you yeah. so much again for oh, uh, pouring into us today and really opening up the conversation of, around trauma and helping yeah. us to learn that we can remove the stigma and really get to the root of our power by mm -hmm. coming, you <laughs> <Thanks>. know, yes, <laughs> getting face to face with our I trauma. <laughs> I know that people yes. are going to be blessed by what you've shared. So thank you so yeah. much. And oh, I'm sure you. we will have a part two sometime. Yes, we can party again. All right. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you. Okay, podcast fam. I hope you enjoyed. Have the most wonderful day. And uh, practice being honest with yourself and with others. Kindly, with compassion. Love y'all. Bye.